Well, hi, friends. It's Jill. And I feel like that we just need to like have a whole brand new introduction. I am the host of the Uplift Effect podcast, and I have been gone for 13 months. And I have not stopped thinking about the Uplift Effect, about this podcast, about you as parents who are navigating and traveling this incredible journey of parenting. And you know, the honest truth is, I have been gone for a year because I also am a parent and I have had a large number of transitions. My children have had a large number of transitions that we have walked through. And I thought honestly that I would only be gone for maybe a couple of weeks or maybe a month or something, I don't know. And all of a sudden it's 13 months and I am shocked that it's been that long. So you might be wondering what the heck's been going on? Well, most likely you probably don't really care, but here's just the quick rundown. I have four kids. My oldest is 24, and then my next son is 19, my next son is 18, and my daughter's 15. Back in May, my second son graduated high school. And then in six months after that point, which is coming up this winter, my oldest is gonna graduate college. He lives out of town. Six months after that time, my next son, who just turned 18, is going to be graduating high school. So in the course of 12 months, I will have had three graduates, two from high school and one from college. Now, if that doesn't make you crazy, I don't know what will, because that is a lot of transition So while my oldest son has kind of gotten settled where he goes to college, my middle two boys that are one just graduated and one is about to graduate, that's a lot of transition because my 19-year-old, he has now moved out of state and got a opportunity to play collegiate baseball, his lifelong dream to be a college athlete, and he is getting an opportunity to do that. And while we are so excited and so proud for him, it is a huge transition for him and for us here at home. We're also in the midst of a senior again. And so my next son, my third son, is in the midst of all his final things and looking at some incredible, incredible opportunities for his college. And I feel pretty sure most of those are not going to be local and he likely will be moving off to college as well. So that leaves my daughter and I, she is 15. She is a sophomore in high school. And after some tough conversations and some things that have changed in our local community with our high school here, My daughter and I made the decision to withdraw her from public school, and she attends a hybrid type of private school situation where she does parts um, in class and part online learning. So the long story short is I have four kids attending school at four different places. My oldest is out of town in college. My next child is out of state in college. My third child is here locally at the public school, finishing his senior year. And my last child, she is in a private hybrid school situation. And that is some craziness. (laughs) 
It truly is. And it has been overwhelming. It has been a wonderful uh, blessing to watch my children grow and develop and to see the opportunities uh, present themselves for all of four of them. It truly has been a blessing, but it isn't easy either. I tell you, I have thought about this podcast and I have thought about you as parents who are raising children in a day and time right now that is absolutely brutal for our kids and for our parents. This is not easy, folks, and I know it. I feel it. I'm experiencing it with you. But I also know that the same truths that have always been a part of being an engaged parent of parenting with intention and purpose. All of those things will still make a difference in our children's lives, just like they have before. So while our society is changing so much and the pressures are unbelievable, and while I feel like our world is just like coming apart, and the moral compass is just gone out the window, We can still raise children who know right from wrong. We can still raise children who are compassionate kids and compassionate young adults who are capable of making good decisions, wise decisions, and who can have a very bright future. And so I want to talk to you today about something that I feel like is a very important component of what we must do in parenting. I think it's critical. I, by the way, have also kind of changed courses a little bit professionally. I'm a therapist, but I have moved more into corporate executive coaching uh, leadership space And so I work with people and coach men and women who are in the workplace. And we talk about some very specific things that have everything to do with growing a business and growing as a leader and growing as a manager. And it's the same skills in so many ways as growing human beings and growing a family. And so I want to talk to you about one of those components today. And I am looking forward to that. I am planning to do a podcast now twice a month. I have got some exciting things ahead. I have got a workshop that I am putting together for you that I'm not going to do directly through this podcast, but I'm going to give you an opt-in option that uh, we will talk about later. But I'm super excited about it, and the long and short of it is it has to do with how to prepare for a pivot in your parenting. When you know and you are getting the impression, and there are symptoms that you're seeing in your children that indicate that what you are doing is not working, and you're not getting the results that you are looking for, how do you make a pivot? How do you prepare for that pivot? so that it stands a chance to work. So I have some ideas for you, and I'm going to offer it as a separate side bonus. I'm preparing that. I'm getting ready for it. I'm going to talk to you more about it and 
uh, be reassured that you will have every opportunity to get your hands on that material because I think it's going to make a huge difference for those of you guys who need to pivot in your parenting. And honestly, that's probably a lot of us (laughs) because we're not doing it perfectly. Nobody is. We always have something to learn. But for today, let's talk about what do you do when winging it no longer works as a parenting strategy. And you know, when I was a brand new parent, this was exactly what I was doing. I was winging it because I had no other idea of what to be doing other than just what was intuitive to me, probably from what my parents did. And that really wasn't half bad at all, but... As you then start to have more kids, and then you have different personalities, and you have a different life circumstance with each kid, and suddenly you realize winging it is no longer going to work. It might not have been working, actually, but there's a pivotal moment for most of us in our parenting journey where we realize we have to have a plan. And I would like to petition to you today that it is not that different than what companies do as they are growing an organization. A company does not grow without very strategic and systematic plans in order to successfully accommodate the growth. It actually never happens on accident or by just winging it. This idea of parenting more strategically versus winging it has everything to do with the word vision. Now, I talk about this in the corporate sense all of the time. It is something that is a very common discussion with executive coaching and executive mentoring and leadership training. You will hear the word vision and visionary a lot. And you know, it's no different. And it's interesting to me why in the workforce, it is something that is so commonly accepted and talked about. And it's very obvious that a company's success is going to be very dependent upon the leaders and their ability to be visionary leaders and to have a vision and then have Um, a process for implementing that vision, but we don't ever consider that as a part of a role of parenting. In parenting, very often I find when people talk to me about what's going on inside of their family and, and what's going on with their kids, well, it's very obvious that there's no vision, that there was no strategic plan And you know what? I get it. My first kid, I was winging it, completely winging it. And about, you know, I don't know, halfway through my second child, which was some years later, it became obvious to me like, oh gosh, duh. What worked for my first child is not even an option to consider for my second child. Completely different personalities, completely different experience. And if I don't adjust, we're going to be in trouble. And my second child happened to be very, very high maintenance. So that added a completely different component to it where I had, excuse my dog, I had 
to make some adjustments. And I began to realize I need a plan. Like I have no plan. I, I'm really just flying by the seat of my pants here. And I need to start thinking strategically. Because all of a sudden, I was pregnant with my third one, and lo and behold, he was born also. Totally different personality. And then there was a fourth, and that was my first girl. You talk about different personality. I mean, everything was different. So if we're going to be strategic in our work, strategic in our educational pursuits, that lead to a certain career. If we're going to be strategic in all of these things, we absolutely have to be strategic and have a plan, maybe even a manifesto, if you will, about how we're going to parent our kids and what we want for them, what our vision is for our family. And I believe that if we would sit down for a little bit and we would sort out some of the things that are going to be needed and the things that we want to see for our children, I think it's going to be time well spent. I'll give you an example. When uh, one of my children uh, was very young, he was, I don't know, maybe three, I guess, We were in a store, it was in a craft store, and I was getting something I don't remember about that, but we got into the car and he said to me, you know what, mom, I got something in my pocket from inside the store. And I was like, really? And I could tell by the demeanor on his um, expression and the look on his face and the way he stuck his hand in his pocket to kind of then pull out what he had taken from the store, that there was a sneakiness in it that I could see in his demeanor that raised a red flag to me. So he pulls his little hand out of his pocket and what he had was just a little silk flower that he had found on the floor in the floral section of the craft store. In and of itself, that little silk flower that he found on the floor isn't a big deal. What was a big deal was that he decided to put it in his pocket, never said anything to me at the time, so it was kind of like he did it kind of sneaky, And he walked out of the store and then he waited till we were leaving and were gone from the store to say, you want to see what I got from the store and I put in my pocket? When I realized what had happened, I stopped the car and I said, you know what, buddy, we're going to turn back around and we're taking that back to the store. And the look on his face, I mean, this was forever ago, but I will never forget the look on his face. I mean, he immediately was fighting tears. Like, please tell me, you are not going to make me go back in there. Because I told him, buddy, what you did was to take something that wasn't yours. And you did it, especially in a sneaky way. And that's called stealing. 
And we're going to walk back in that store and I'm going to have you return that because that's not ours. We didn't pay for that. And he, I think, tried to do everything he possibly could to talk me out of it. (laughs) I mean, he was very young, so I don't think he had a lot of resources at that time, but he was just like, oh my gosh, I don't want to do that, you know? And I was like, yes, sir, we are going to walk back into that store. And that's what we did. Turned my car around, parked it, We got out. He was extremely reluctant. I mean, he walked really slowly with his head down. And we walked back into that craft store and I asked for the store manager. She showed up within minutes and I told her that my son had something that he needed to say. And he stood there for a really long time. It felt like an eternity. It was probably a minute. But it felt like a really long time. And it probably felt like forever to him too. And he starts crying. And he pulls out of his pocket this little silk flower. And he said, I took this off of the floor. And I'm sorry. And she looks at me a little confused. And I said, we did not pay for this. And I want him to understand that we do not take things that we do not pay for. And I could see it come over her face, and thankfully she was cooperative, and she got down uh, to his level, and she said, young man, what you did was the right thing. And I know you were scared, and that was very courageous. And by this point, he has huge tears dripping down his face. And she said, what you did was very brave and very courageous. When you take things from a store that you do not pay for, that is called stealing. And that is not the right thing to do. Matter of fact, you can get in really, really big trouble in your life if you steal. And she said, thank you for returning this flower. I appreciate it. And I want you to know that what you have done and what your mother has had you do today was the right thing to do. And so she patted him on the back and she said, it's going to be okay. And she sent us on our way and she kind of gave me a little wink and I kind of mouthed to her quietly, thank you. And we left. And my son did not, uh, I don't think he spoke to me for a little while. He was uh, very emotional and very tearful and he wasn't excited about what we just did. Was it about the silk rose that he put in his pocket? No, because that really isn't that big of a deal. And the big scheme of thing, I mean, that's not the point. What I wanted him to know and what I wanted him to experience and what I wanted to ingrain into his spirit and to develop in his character was a strong sense of right and wrong and consequences for choices that we make. And I also then also realized after the fact, thankfully the lady was very helpful and, and understood what I was trying to accomplish. But he saw a reward for doing the right thing because she validated that. Now, 
previous to this, I really didn't have like a manifesto or, you know, this big vision for parenting. I really didn't. I was still just winging it. But I saw a look on his face that was about a sneakiness, that was about, look what I did, that gave me a weird feeling. Because I thought, I've never seen that look on his face before. It was kind of like I got away with something and it was unsettling to me. And I knew just very, very quickly, uh-oh, I got I to gotta address that. Since then, I have gone back into stores with all of my kids in the middle of 100 degree weather with a bunch of kids in tote, pregnant with my fourth. And I have taken them all back in because I forgot to tell the cashier that we didn't pay for the water or the dog food or whatever that was on the bottom of our cart. And the kids said, well, if she didn't know, what, how, why does it matter? Oh no, it does matter. It matters a lot. It matters because I'm aware that there was a a mistake made and that I didn't pay for this. And I have to be willing to do, number one, the inconvenient thing, maybe the unpopular thing, but the right thing. And I have to model that for my children if they're going to learn it. Because that's how they are going to learn it, is because that was a normal part of their experience growing up. Now, have I been able to catch every scenario like that? Uh, I'm sure not. No. But when it becomes aware, obvious to me, we're going to manage it and we're going to handle it. Because I know that developing that moral character, that sense of right and wrong is extremely important to their development of who they are. And there's so many aspects of what that builds inside of a child as they grow into adulthood. And so that's just one small example, but it is a significant example example and something that has I think very practical not convenient but a very practical way that we can instill some things and if you have done those things I want to assure you that I see and have seen in my children how that has played itself out in ways that have nothing to do with something at a store like that. We're just putting deposits into the bank account. And I have watched my children stand up for what is right and stand against what is wrong. And though it had nothing to do with a little silk flower on the floor, it had everything to do with the number of deposits and the times by which they walked through doing what was right, though it had to be modeled for them at first. And that's what I want you to understand. And that's what I want you to be assured that if you will do those things, they are going to pay off. You might not see it right away, 
And you might not see it in five years, 10 years, or 15 years. But if you will stay the course and you will continue to do it into adolescence, into young adulthood, and you continue practicing those things, you're going to reap the benefits of it. And more importantly, they are going to reap the benefits of it. So I hope this gives you some ideas, some thoughts about the importance of being visionary, of being strategic, of being very aware of opportunities, looking for opportunities that you can help make deposits into your children's accounts, their emotional bank accounts, so that you are developing and growing in your children what you want and envision for their lives. So while there are many ways to very successfully raise kids and raise really good human beings, what I do truly believe is the families who do this with the most ease are the ones who have goals and a vision And as the saying says, they begin with the end in mind. It works for parenting too. And they're consistent. You can have all of the best plans, all of the best goals and the, the greatest vision. But if you are not consistent, none of this will really stick. It requires consistency. And so as I leave you today, I want to say thank you for listening to The Uplift Effect. The entire point of The Uplift Effect, as you know, the V formation that you see in the logo, those were actually geese going above my house. It's a picture from my phone. And that V formation happens because geese are migrating from one place to another place. A journey that is thousands of miles, just like parenting. And in order to do that, to withstand the test of all of the time and all of the miles and the wear and tear that that kind of a journey would require of them, they have to position themselves in such a way, that V formation, so that they have the benefit of something called the uplift effect. And that's what I am here to do. I want to be in service to you and to the families who are listening to this podcast so that together we can journey one of the most difficult and yet rewarding experiences of our lifetime. What we leave behind after all is said and done is going to be the thing that matters the most. And that's what we do with our children. Until next time, which I hope is very, very soon, maybe even next week, have a wonderful week. And I will talk to you then. Bye-bye.